What is up, Hockey IQ listeners? I'm here to chat about our newest sponsor, Sensorina. Your brain is one of the most important parts of your body. Why not invest in a tool that allows you to train it? With Sensorina, athletes can gain a competitive edge using VR training. Players are able to go through a scenario thousands of times without having to step foot on the ice. No more waiting around for puck touches or perfect scenarios. Sensorina can enhance reaction time, decision-making, and multitasking abilities, making you the next MVP. I mean, if the LA Kings are using it, it's got to be good. With our promo code HockeyIQ, you receive $50 off an annual plan purchase. Head on over to Sensorina.com to check it all out. On the Hockey IQ podcast day, we bring on Jimmy Mullen, uh, former player, now assistant coach of the U.S. National Team Development Program, uh, someday Columbus resident, cross our fingers on that one, currently uh, biding his time up in the maize and blue land up in Michigan. But uh, Jimmy, glad to have you. Yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. So uh, what's your connection to Columbus and Ohio? It seems like you're a big fan. <laughs> um, I... Ohio does have a soft spot in my, in my heart. My, my wife's from Columbus, Ohio. So we were just chatting beforehand. So she's a pal Dublin area. And then I obviously went to Miami. So my, my dad and stepmom currently live in Cincinnati, but uh, I, if my family's definitely going to listen to this, I've got some Philadelphia roots where my whole family lives there, mom and all my aunts, uncles, cousins. So um, I've got a soft spot for both places, but I do love Ohio. I love uh, love the city and Columbus, definitely for sure. All right, well let's let's get you straight into it uh, with the hardest question on the podcast today, uh, which seems like an easy one. But if anyone actually tries to answer this, they, they're in for a treat. Uh, what is player development? That's great. I I think uh, it's funny how one year has really impacted my thought process in that and. And being in youth and really worrying about, like, I guess I've had an evolution of what that means. And when I was in youth, there's a handful of kids that really care, right? So the player development was always geared towards the kids that cared, meaning teaching them how to show up to the rank on time, how in, how to, to obviously be a professional or be a kid that wants to be elite. And ever since coming here to the program, I've realized player development you have to have the word team in there. And I'm stealing words from Adam Nightingale, who is an unbelievable public speaker and Nick Four, who I worked with. They've done a really good job at, at defining that. And to me, player development is teaching kids how to be the best versions of, of themselves for the team. And what that looks like for different people are mean different things. So if you're an elite skater and you're elite goal scorer, like that's your job for the team. Like that's, you need to utilize that. So you help people enhance what they're great at. You teach them the full game. And for me, it's teaching them how to be winning hockey players. Again, I'm stealing verbiage from the, the past guys that have been here at the program. But to me, player development is teaching kids and teaching players how to play the game at a very high level. We are talking about Blake Coleman before we got on here, and he's a guy that I think embodies what it means to be a winning hockey player, finishes checks, his stops and starts, his habits. And, and I think player development is so geared towards 
Instagram highlights now and kids trying to go and emulate the, the Michigan and try to, they think it's all skill acquisition, which to me, player development is, should be geared towards how to be the best teammate. And when you put your practices together, you put your plans together. I think it's super important to realize that that you can teach a kid to be really good on the outside, teach a kid how to stick handle well, how to go through cones, how to do, um, I'm not going to give a plug, but you can, you can teach kids how to be really skilled, but you need to teach them how hard the game is. And that's, to me, that's player development is teaching them how to be a winning hockey player. Well, okay. So you're, you're saying that it has to do with a lot of teaching. So I, I think uh, we should ask some specific questions. What, what are you teaching? I mean, yeah. it obviously depends on where you were at the time, but what, yeah. what are the big things for you that you, you know, we, we go to a Jimmy Mullen skill session or Jimmy Mullen practice, you know, what are the things that we are going to take away from it? Or someone comes to watch your team that, Oh, Jimmy Mullen is big on blank. Yeah. So again, I, I don't want to pretend that I'm, reinventing the wheel here and I've had really good coaches to work with this year and watch both the 17 and be a part of our practices and and for us it's creating habits like so for instance breakouts happen every shift and so you put kids in situations that's going to happen time and time and time again we do a lot of outnumbering situations to where usually the guys that are on offense are the ones with less numbers than, than the ones that are playing defense. So we teach them about triangle support. We teach them how to be the best team player, which lo and behold allows you to have more offense. So if you're working on transition game a lot, guess what? You don't let your team get into the, the opposite team, get into their neutral zone. If you're working on breakouts a lot, you don't let them get into their four check. You, you teach kids how to play the game fast, how to, how to play the game hard. And when you come into like a specific skill situation, you're teaching them how to have hard skill. And that's another term that I'm stealing from Nightingale and Coach Four. And it's so easy to do one-timers and with no space, with no time, and, or with so much space and time. But the moment you put a stick in there and the kid has to shoot through your stick, shoot through like any some sort of pressure, I think is kind of trying to simulate the game as, as, as I guess for you're trying to put them in situations that happen in a game time all the time because it's just it's going to make the the transition so much easier. So if you would mind, what what is the definition of a hard skill versus a soft skill? So um, I've got a couple good examples. Like let's just without plugging kids on my team, like Nathan McKinnon. Like, I think you've got a guy that has the ability to weave inside and out, but he's, he's lifting sticks. It's body position. It's putting pucks in the space to where you can still make a play, but it's not just tap, tap, tap. And the moment your stick gets hit, hit, boom, it's into the corner. Now you got a four check. I think hard skill is a kid who has all the tool necessary, but the moment the puck is stripped, He's stopping, starting, getting back on top. Like hard skill is you have the ability to have high end. And there's there's a kid that's number two in the draft rankings right now that that term is used a ton about him. He's got so much hard skill that he's able to get on the four check. His stick lifting and stripping pucks, Statsuk was the best at it. I, I think he's one of the best guys to find as a hard skill hockey player because he's, he has the ability to create plays 
in really tough situations and especially outnumbered situations. So protecting the puck, being able to take a hit and bounce off, but still create space. There's so many guys that get hit pucks going in and now you're playing defense, but there's the best guys in the world have the ability to protect pucks in really outnumbered situations. Yeah. So if I simplify this even further, would you say hard skill is skill under pressure? I would say, yeah, skill under pressure, skill in spots to where you're coming, you're asking yourself, how did you just come out with that puck? Excellent. I like it. Um, and, and you already started alluding to the, the national team development program. Um, and obviously I, I'm trying to remember the gentleman's name who works with the skills side of it. So he'd run skills practices up for the program uh, quite often. I'm curious, and even you in your past life working with the youth, like how does a skills coach best work within a team environment, whether it be the off season or in season? Cause obviously there's things that are team specific, but you still want to add value to these players and help them develop further. Yeah. Um, I think I'll, allowing like so you have to trust the guy you're with right and and for instance you're talking about Matt Larkey who is a professional through and through he's detailed he's organized and but um for our instance like I think there's a couple ways that you can go through it our our coaches with Nightingale and four they trusted him and I think there were some days where we just had a three and three so you have to go lighter but I think there's a lot of trust and, and allow him to do his job. And that's something that I think it was super important for me to develop for Larky to develop. Like it was both of our first times within the program, but I think the way that it worked for us was Larky had a plan every day, whether it was breakouts, whether it was one time in pucks, whether it was shooting in stride, whether it was catching pucks in your offhand, one touch, two touch on and off your stick. Like there were so many different skills that happened in a game so many times that he, along with other people in the profession that they've broken down and realized, Hey, this is what happens the most in a game. Now we're going to work on it. And I'm like, I'm out there every day with him. And he would do a really good job at working on some hard skill. So it would be a rim puck. He would be there. He would cross check or push on a kid and he'd have to protect, take the bump, curl out, take a shot or curl out, make a pass and, and put kids in situations to where they, he thinks happens a ton, whether it was line rushes, shooting off the rush. So I think, how does it work? I think you have to have a lot of trust in the guy. I don't think you can just have a guy go out there and because I think you can create habits that like shooting pucks is great, right? Everybody went into a garage. Everybody was stick handling a golf ball, whether it was good for you or not. I think getting those extra puck touches is awesome, but I think having purposeful reps and that's what Larky did such a great job at is making these kids have reps that could actually make them better in a game. And you start in the beginning of the season, maybe there's 30 minutes, 35 minutes. And as the season goes on and there's wear and tear and they're, they were always specific to the group that was out there, but I think he did a great job. Uh, or the staff did a really good job at trusting what he did. And he's very trustworthy in that, but also trusting that he was going to have the workload that simulated that wasn't going to kill them going into a weekend and stuff like that. So I think it was a really good blend. 
So how did he go about building trust with you and the staff? Because obviously we, we talk about needing trust, but I feel like not many people talk about how do you actually get that trust and maintain it? Because obviously this is a relationship business, but how do you, how do you even gain the trust of someone? Like, obviously you gain trust with your coaching staff as well. So like, how did you go about that? How do you think he did a good job? How do you build trust to make sure that we're all aligned and on the same page and can do our jobs effectively? For sure. Um, I wasn't a part of that specific like hiring. I know that uh, Nightingale brought him in. He actually watched him. I guess he watched him do some NHL skates during the summer. Um, and it's, you, you demand respect, you, you earn respect. Right. And I think Larky is a great communicator. He's super passionate. He's organized. He's a kid, not a kid. He's the same age, but he's a guy that comes in and just works. Right. And I think like, nobody's a perfect coach. Nobody is somebody, like, nobody comes in pretending to know everything. And I think that's having that humility, like, and, and work ethic. I mean, at the end of the day, if you care so much for these kids, they're going to, they're going to work for you. Right. So how do you, to me, how do you earn it? And I think that's why coach four and Nightingale brought him in is because they saw a guy that is an up and coming like player development guy that cares, wants to move up and he wanted to own his craft. Right. So I think if there were not, and I, there were no blemishes on my end, I thought he did an amazing job, but if there were blemishes ever, he made up for it with passion, care factor, and somebody who is willing to learn and willing to fail and willing to work with the kids. Cause that's to me, super important. And I'm in that process myself. Like I'm not perfect, but I'm, I'm willing to work and, and work through my kinks until I have the voice that I'm looking for. Beautiful. And, and you mentioned something about owning his craft. I, I think uh, even that probably filters down to the players. I'm not sure about like owning your development has ever been something you've heard of before. Well, are you saying that on purpose? Cause you know what the kids are hitting a sign as they come out to the ice. Cause it's like own your development. Everybody, every single day, it's that's something that we preach big time here in the development program. And I think it, it it rings true to the players, the coaches, the staff, the communications, the, the, the day-to-day operations. I do think I'm in a very, very unique situation. Um, I was lucky enough when I was in Columbus, it was the same thing. Um, but the, I will tell you that they allow you to be a professional and to learn and to grow here at the program. And it's something that I think with Larky, yes, you have to own your own development. And if, if you want to show up and be there 10 minutes before, probably doesn't look good, right? So you got to put in the work. You have to have video to show the guys. You have to actually, like, you can't just tell them something. You get, These kids are super inquisitive. They've seen the game. So you can't, for lack of a better term, BS your way through it. You have to, you have to show them that you care. And at the end of the day, if you care enough, these kids will work and they'll work hard for you. So it's, it's something that I feel like a lot of parents forget about, but like the development eventually is owned by the kid. And it's like, how do we find ways to help them own their own development? Um, So this will dovetail into kind of how you work with the best kids in the country here, but how do you and the program 
go about making sure that they're owning their development? Because that's a key piece. And, and I always talk about like the golden boy theory of like, only you coach can screw it up. Yeah, They're on the path to the NHL and you can screw it up. But realistically, you, you break this down. Uh, coaches can't put in the work. They can't put in the stick handle. They can't just magically give it. You know, at the end of the day, it needs to be owned by the player. Obviously, we all want to own our own development, own our own jobs and have that locus of control within ourselves. But how do we make sure that we pass that along to the players that they own their own development? That's, that's something that we talk about all the time. I think the to me, the biggest factor of development is teaching kids how to compete and and putting them in situations to compete. And then usually your your development is a direct correlation to how hard you're willing to compete. Uh, I you coming here, I think you you're in a unique situation. They have these they've earned the right to have a lot of tools at their disposal, right? But there are very few kids who come here and don't succeed under that, like, because it's, it's conditioned, right? Like they're the, the accountability from the weight room with Brian Galvin, the, the management staff with Scott Monahan. everybody's keeping everybody accountable on a day-to-day basis. So I think holding kids accountable and I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll give you an example for me. And it's something that I think I'll always continue. Like for me, we have kids on their worst games can score two, three goals legitimately. And, and for me, my dad was the like, if I didn't work hard, he was always like, yeah, great. Like you got some bounces, but I think here we don't always applaud them. Like, yeah, like that's, that's just a testament to their skill. So when we're talking about the, how do you get these guys to always go back to their own individual development? It's just holding them accountable. Like you can't applaud Johnny every single time he, he shoots the puck because he's a shooter. Like you, we have the ability in almost every single one of our rooms to set up our computer, hook it up and show like whether we're in their locker room or in the theater or something like that. Like we teach them day to day how to be world-class athletes. And, and sooner or later, the cream rises to the top and our kids, our boys, especially at the, the O4s this year, some of them, from what I understand, this is my first year from when they first got here till the last day. And there's guys that you're going to, you're going to hear during the NHL draft to where they're going to be like their development from the first day they got here to the last day, they're harder on pucks. They compete harder, but you you learn to compete. You get it's that you get your butt kicked every single day. The game becomes easier, right? You put kids in situations that during your St. Louis podcast, I heard you guys talking about condensing the zone, making it harder and harder and harder. And and then sooner or later, that two foot pass, it's seamless. Making seams off the rush and and getting on second pucks and putting them in those situations. So to me, I think putting them in situations where you hold them accountable every single day, you can't hide. And if you are having practices that are flow and loops and you're not adding stops and starts, right. You, you're not going to allow them to be the best versions of themselves. Yeah. And, and you had a great comment here about holding accountable. 
Um, and, and what I heard in my head was that you're holding them accountable to the process, not the result, because they can score two goals and still have a terrible game or not play your best game because you've got the skill level, but your process is poor. So in the future, you're less likely to repeat that. And as coaches, I know and you're the exact same of like, we are looking for good process because we see the process because we know that the process leads to eventual results. We don't want luck going towards our results. Like there's always going to be that element of luck, but how can we make sure that we're putting our team in the best possible position, our players in the best possible position to have continued success over and over again and coaching to that process rather than the result, uh, I think is an absolutely massive thing that doesn't get talked about enough. hundred percent. And the one thing that comes to mind and, Nightingale and Coach Ford and taught me this. It's teaching repeatable hockey. And it's something that I actually I love that word. The kids love the word because it's it it really helps you understand that, like for instance, you can cherry pick and get a breakaway one in what 15, 20 games, especially when you have guys that can break out the puck like our guys can. But when you've got five guys coming back into the D zone, you've got triangle support coming out, you've got guys willing to push out and create. Right. Like I would I would argue that we created 45 to 50 grade A scoring opportunities a game. Like and that's not fluff. That's because I had to do it after every single game video wise. But the reason that we were able to do that wasn't cheating. It was teaching repeatable hockey. And that looks like so many different things. But teaching them how to play the game as a team, going back to the development, that's the biggest thing is like teach your kids how to play a team hockey game because that translates at every single level. Yeah. And that, that is something that I want to get into here shortly, but let's take it back ever so slightly. Um, And the challenge that players even have coming into your program in the U S national team development system. um, You know, that's not an easy adjustment. You're going from being the best player on your team to suddenly being one of everyone else is the best player on their team. It's like, um, going to school with a bunch of valid Victorians, even if though you were one, like, great, good job. You're amazing. But now you're one of the exact same. And the shock that goes through players has to be immense, especially when you're used to getting a goal a game, probably. And now you may score a goal a month. Yep. Like unbelievable. So I'm curious from your perspective, um, just players adjusting to the program and the demands that it has, because you can't just float around and expect to just see pucks. Like you actually have to go work and compete for them. For sure. And I think this is a question I was excited to, to answer because I will tell you, I don't think our kids get enough credit for the adjustment that they have to make and super fast. I mean, the moment they probably sign on the dotted line, for our program, it's time to work. You're a 15, 16 year old kid. Now you're about to go play anywhere between 16 to 20 years old, 20 year olds in the NA, in the USHL, college games. Like we had some guys got called up from the 17 team to play against Boston University. Now, now they're playing 25 year olds. So that adjustment is big time. And I think buying in early and and understanding you talk about the process, the moment they step here, it's, it's all team. It's all business. Like they have a ton of fun because these kids love hockey, but I will say if you don't work and create those habits, you will struggle in early and often, but like a really good example is our 17 team. I think they came in 
and they have a ton of talent. But if you look at their success that they had in the beginning of the season towards the end, you always go back to my, my boy, Joel Embiid in Philadelphia. Like you have to trust the process or else you're going to have a lot of frustration. I mean, I think it took them a couple months to get their first USHL win. They were there, they were winning games, and then they would lose them. But then it's teaching winning hockey, winning hockey moments, putting them in situations every single day that are going to help you beat that 19, 20 year old who's been in the league for three years. So going back to that question, their process of what they do on a day-to-day basis. Like I like I went to Shattuck and I think if you know any Shattuck people, which I know, you know, my boy Petraglia, we're very proud alumni. And I think they do an amazing job at how hard the kids work and their ice availability and the coaching staff and how much they, they lean. But I will say, I think the, the, the process here is just because of how elite everybody is. You can't cheat any day because that you've got 20 alpha males that are coming in and everybody wants to be better than the other, right? Like you don't have a day to take a, to take a rep off. And if you do, guess what? That kid who didn't, who went home and went to bed at 8, 8 PM, woke up early and they shooting pucks before school starts he's going to get this much better. And that adds up every single day. So like, I think the game of inches here is the biggest thing and the competitive environment. These kids, we went to Providence. I'll tell you a funny story. We went to Providence and stayed at the Burrard house. We were about to play the biggest. And in my opinion, I thought when we played Providence, I thought we were probably playing the hardest skilled team ever going to play. Talk about hard skill guys that can finish, but finish hits and play in an environment where it was going to be the hardest game that we played during the time of the year. And these guys were fresh. Like, I mean, fresh. They had an off weekend. They're getting ready for playoffs, everything. So they had every every incentive to come in and run us through the building, which they did. But the day before, these kids are playing, were at a, a house. They're playing mini hockey for two and a half hours as 18-year-olds, 17-year-olds. And they're throwing guys through walls, like legitimately – we're going over there to have a nice dinner and a couple of like alumni stop by and all that stuff. And these kids are so competitive that they're downstairs the day before the biggest game of their lives playing the hardest mini hockey game I've ever seen in my life. And I know the mini hockey sticks that you and I use, those things would break instantaneously. These things are like real hockey sticks now. So, so to me, just looking at them is that competitive nature, whether it's a mini hockey game, whether it's in the weight room, whether it's two touch soccer before a game. Like I will tell you, I've heard roars before a hockey game that just happened to be one-on-one like soccer games. And I think that environment coming in, it's like if, if you want to come play at the program, you better have a competitive edge or a competitive spirit that doesn't just stay on the ice. It, it's going to be in every little aspect of, of your day to day. And it's super fun because it just keeps growing and growing and growing day by day. Yeah. And then how does, how does the transition work from even a parental side of things? Cause you're used to seeing your kid just have instant success on pretty much everything they touch to suddenly they may be on the bottom half of the roster. I feel like that's got to be a hard transition as well. I mean, obviously for the players, it's big, but it, you know, they're seeing it every day. They're building the habits every day. You know, the parents probably aren't checking in every single day of like, oh, how's little Johnny doing? 
Yeah. I, I will say that there's a lot of groundwork that I know that is done beforehand. Um, like we just had our tryout camp for the 06s a couple months ago before we went to Germany. And I think right away, the messaging is you have to trust us. Like, like there was kid, there were kids that were on our team this year that were on the fourth line that now are projected in the top 15 going into this draft. Like, I think that everybody, like everybody finds their groove at a different point, especially here. Like there's an ego hit. There's a production hit. There's a, I'm not used to this amount of accountability. I'm not used to the day to day, just absolute grind, the schooling, the, the video, the eating, the, there's so much that's thrown at them that sometimes you forget their kids. And to me, you get caught up in how elite they are as hockey players and athletes and competitors that sometimes you forget that there's a parent that loves their kid. There's a, there's a family member. And, and I know that our, our staff received a ton of phone calls and I think they, they accept those calls in, in terms of the parents want to be a part of the process. And I think it's tough because you want them to be a part of it because they love them. You want to be there, but there has to be a point where there has to be trust. Right. And going back to everything that we're talking about earlier with, with everything, I think our coaches do a really good job at having those conversations with the advisors, having conversations with the parents. And there's going to, there's a lot of frustration. I mean, is everybody happy? No. Like is everybody want to be half wall one time highlight? I mean, this, it's, it's tough because there's going to be kids that are getting tons of accolades really early and, and often. Right. And, but if you put your head down and work and work and work, I, I will tell you the kids who want it more will get better because like my full-time job is, and it's funny saying it out loud is to go on the ice for skills is to do video with guys at the highest level possible to like, I have the, a dream job as you can, as you can imagine. I, I like as a player, I get up and I'm like, Hey, like I get to work with the best. Now, how can I make it? So their parent isn't calling saying, well, he hasn't been on the ice for skills. They could do it every day. We have a shooting room every day. Right. So the, I think the parents have to know what we're willing and able to do for them, but going back to owning your development, that's where you, as a coach, you can always say, we have a computer. The kid hasn't come in for video. We've asked them, you, you know what I mean? Like they have everything at their disposal and you can, you can always bring them to the watering hole, but you can't force them to drink. And there's a balance too, right? So you, you got to make sure that these parents obviously know what they're willing, like what we have, but you don't want to force the parents with the answers. To the, so the kids are like, oh, hey, now I'm going to do video. It's like, you got to have let the kids figure it out at the same time. Letting the kids figure it out. Wow. Okay. Uh, novel concept there uh, for some, some folks, but I think that's the ultimate is like, we need to just let them be kids sometimes and figure things out for themselves. Uh, I, I know that everyone in their own lives, if you look inward, will find out that some of the hardest lessons uh, were some of the best and longest lasting, lasting lessons that have stuck with us forever. So uh, sometimes letting your kid fail 
especially I would say this would be a low stakes environment compared to the quote unquote real world uh, would be a major thing to allow to happen, be there, mentor, comfort. But at the same point, they, they need to sometimes feel that pain point to find, finally have it click in their own head. So uh, love hearing that. Um, from getting back to maybe from your perspective a little bit, coaching the best kids in the country. Uh, I mean, not everyone has the aggregation. Usually everyone's in their own community rink with their own team. Sometimes it's AAA, sometimes it's AA. It could be B hockey for all we care. You know, everyone has a different situation. Um, what is it like at the absolute highest, most pinnacle level probably in the world dealing with ultra high competitive kids, ultra skilled? They all have a little bit of an ego, alpha male type. What is that like for you? Uh, is it forced you to evolve as a coach? I, I know I've talked to a lot of people who are in similar situations and they're saying like, I run out of material to give to my players. They're such quick learners. So I'm curious, what is this been like from your perspective and what are you seeing? What are you learning? That's yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I, to me, it is super, I, I have so much fun just so you know. And to me, like, the the best part about our kids is they are so in tune with what's going on in the hockey world. What's what can make them better that you can't fake your way through it. Right. Like I've told you before, I'm not a perfect coach, but I will tell you that I'm there at six, six fifteen every day, not because like I want to get up at that time, but because I need to work that much harder to stay ahead of the curve in case Cutter Goche says to me, hey, Molly, did you see that one-timer by Stamkos? You know that play we're talking about? Yeah, I want to work on that today. Like it like happens on a day-to-day basis. And if I'm not in watching all the highlights of what happened before, then I don't get a chance to be like, uh, uh. you know, like you you want to make sure that they like that they know that you're you're willing and able to work. So in terms for me, like I, I, I think I evolve every day. Like I, I will say that I've been super blessed with my path as a player, but just being there working with the kids at that level, it, it makes you evolve your drills. You, you make them harder. They, they make it look easy. You like, you think having a kid go puck protection in and out of cones, like, you think that's good enough? They're like, no, Molly, cross check me, hit me. Now come in, slash my stick. Like, 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 legitimately, they're like, they're so hungry to get better. It's unbelievable. Like, I will tell you that I've never in a million years, even when I played, I, this group of kids, and it, it may have been an extreme outlier, I guess it's to be seen. I'll be with the 06 group next year. I've never seen a team as a whole so thirsty to get better that makes you so that makes you so much better as a coach. Like you're it's so much fun and you get up with a smile every single day to just get in and and be hungry. But you're also around an environment of people who support that too. And I it's when when you asked me to be on the podcast, I didn't realize I was gonna go this deep into what our program does, but it really puts you in situations to think like, do you want to be a coach? Like, I think it would have been very easy for me to come here and not really realize the workload and you can go one way or the other. Like, oh my gosh, like this is ridiculous. How much, 
how much work and video and this you have to do versus like if you're a true hockey nerd, like I would say that I am, you're thirsty to get in and watch like this system that I have with catapult access is like, I can go in and watch every shot attempt, not just shot shot attempt in a condensed file from every playoff game. I can watch every scoring chance. I could go to every shift. Like if you think in stats good, this thing that we have is so specific that if you want to watch every line rush, boom, here you go. If they say, Molly, how, how, how did Johnny Gaudreau pick that puck up on his skate? I can go boom, 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 boom. Here it is. This is exactly how he did. This is what he did. So it makes you, it makes you even a bigger nerd of the game. And I think sometimes you don't even realize how big of a wormhole you can get in, but these kids at this program push you to the limit. And it's a testament to how ready they are to keep growing and be the best that they can be. Yeah, I have in stat, but I don't have X's and X and O's. She said it was XOs. It's uh, EXOS. Yep. XOs. Okay. All right. It's, I mean, just like being able to cut down film is fantastic and being able to put it up. Uh, yeah. When, when I'm writing my articles, I'm looking for something very specific. Like, for example, I'm currently watching for back checking habits, like, guys like Pavelski and Crosby and Bergeron, they all like specifically and oddly specifically go through like the middle dot on their back checking route. And it's just absolutely impossible to find the film for that. So maybe you can help me out here. Well, it's funny because I was watching the Calgary game and you'll love it. So I think on the first goal or second goal, we, we call it track and shoot. Like we have a drill that you back check the coach, you stick lift them tap it off and it's a two-on-one. If you look at one of the first Calgary goals that they score, it is hard backtrack through. And we had a, a coach that's won six Stanley Cups. His name's Barry Smith, who came out with us um, and or during the season. He was talking about specifically backchecking the stick side um, every single time. So, like, and it's funny how he said that, but his explanation to that, and I'm still learning, and his verbiage was if you're backchecking – the, the stick side, he can't cut back. It takes an, it's a longer route for a guy to turn and bring his like wrist over to one side of the, of the ice. So if you're always back checking the stick side, you'll be able to angle the other side of the ice. So it's funny how I'm learning verbiages too, but yes, like it is unbelievable, but you'll find some clips from that Calgary game big time. Yeah. I always like coming off of the middle and then depending on where the stick is like timing out when I want to get to the backside or like go to the stick side, because like you want to show them something, just like throw them off for a half second. But I, I love that idea of like back checking to the stick side. Cause now you've got to take the longer route. Like that's, that's good stuff. As long as you have a step, as long as they don't have a step on you, they got a step on you. That might change it, but uh, that's some good shit. Um, lastly, Something I want to talk about that, because uh, obviously we've been talking about the elite of the elite, the 1% of the 1%, uh, but I want to take this back to, to youth, maybe more uh, mass relatable. Um, when we're talking about all the money parents are shelling out for their kids, you know, we want to make sure that it's money well spent. Um, in, in your opinion, someone who's seen kids at the highest level that are trying to get noticed, part of a AAA program for a while, um, spending money on going to camps and showcases versus lessons and trainers and hockey IQ video work, you know, like for you, what's the best way to get the most out of that? Yeah, I think obviously there's, 
there's it's there's not one path that's better than the, the next but the one that my common rule of thumb when i was coaching and kids that i coached before that are still going up through the junior ranks and youth like my thing is like have something to train for so like you don't like i i know kids that go to trial camp 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 and i'm like awesome so what did you work on this year or what you work on this summer i'm like because to me if if you don't have a goal in mind for the summer, whether it's, I want to put on five pounds of muscle. I'm going to shoot 50 pucks a day on and off my stick. I want to shoot no stick handling, just, just anything. Like if you're not working towards a goal, then you're, you're losing the development stage. And I think the summer is a unique, is a unique time to where you can do that. So for me, I was always like, if you train for five weeks to six weeks, and you want to go to a USHL camp or a combine or something like that. Like I'm, I'm all for it because now you can put your work to the test. And, but to me, you always want to put yourself in environments. I, I, I'm a big fan of three on three. I'm a big fan of not just skills practices. I'm a big fan of like just problem solving. Like, so what does that mean? What does that look like? I mean, to me, if I were them, I'd I'd find a way to play in a indoor soccer league or an outdoor soccer league. It's something to where you're now working different body parts. You're thinking differently. Like I I know like I grew up with Johnny Gaudreau. His dad Guy Gaudreau was honestly one of the best coaches I've ever had. And we were on three on three teams in the summer. Like and before before we all kind of dispersed. But Johnny played soccer every single summer up until probably when he went to Dubuque. Like, and I think that element of him, you, 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 it'll, it made him better. He was conditioning. It wasn't organized running. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't like he was conditioning without realizing he was conditioning. I think the, it's super sad to me that kids look at off ice training as a chore now not a, an opportunity so for me when you when it comes to like what does that look like i think there's a there's a healthy balance i think you should probably have that 70 30 rule of 70 percent development and with that is an eating plan that's a like and that look can look at that can look like so many different things depending on ages but like maybe you're not just going to burger king or mcdonald's every day right like you're you're teaching the kids how to eat well you're teaching them how to like hey if you want to go to this ushl camp in fargo then perfect you now let's let's earn it you will have three to four skates a week like i would send them to like i did power skating clinics like not just one-on-one stuff like where you're competing against other kids like i would always go on on free ice and play three on three with my buddies or do that on the street. So for me, it's a long winded answer. I think you have to have something to train for. You have to have a goal in mind and it stinks because when I grew up, your tryouts were at the end of the summer. So you always had something to train for. And I think it's so, to me, it's sad because little Johnny who is five foot one, 11 years old, 85 pounds, can't be a hundred pounds by the end of the summer, just based off of maturity and growth and development teams are picked before the season's done. Right. So for me, 
those showcases and stuff actually mean something for these kids now. And it's crazy how things have evolved. But at the end of the day, have something to train for, develop. And if it looks like skills and stuff like that, that's great. But have a little bit of balance of everything. But play pickup hockey. Play three-on-three hockey. Go, go for a run. Play soccer. Play baseball. Do something. But, like, don't just be so specialized all the time because I think some of my best attributes as a player I learned from other sports. I'm glad you said soccer because every time I've uh, had a soccer player on my team, they've always had better vision than everyone, and they just think the game very well. Um, I, I think it's because it's a larger field, and you can see things happen slowly. Hockey's just a little too fast sometimes, so it really allows you to pick up on a lot of these patterns. So that's awesome. And then like you get the football players, and oh, okay, now they can really bully guys around. I think there's these little elements from all of these different sports that you can take away and uh, and really utilize and drop into your own game. So I, I love that Johnny was playing soccer every single summer. Hell yeah. That's awesome. And it's funny, like a lot of our drills that we do, which are like small area games or neutral zone games, we steal, like we have one that's called Man City. We've got one that's Man U. We've got one that's called Barcelona. Like I think the game's evolving big time to where soccer and hockey have way more things that correlate than they differ. And I think – Soccer is way ahead of uh, just analytically and statistically and stuff like that, that I think we're learning from them. And I think it's something that kids should definitely take a look at. Uh, as a man who doesn't look at much hockey and looks a lot to other sports, uh, when I'm trying to learn soccer, I think is light years ahead on a lot of things. Uh, so like, for, for example, I love the Rondo. I know I've talked about that a million times over at this point, but uh, I just like, all the little elements you can steal from another sport, especially one that has a lot more incentivize, a lot more incentives to develop their own talent. Like for example, we're in a draft based system. So like the NHL teams aren't going to try to create players from the lowest level so they can get cheap talent. That's very loyal at the end compared to a soccer club where that is the case. Um, and you're forced to be the best developer possible. It wasn't until the U S national team came around that things really took off uh, in the States so uh, highly suggest anyone out there look to soccer, look to basketball, all these other sports um, as well. So this has been a fantastic episode. So uh, one, thank you, Jimmy, for coming on. Uh, I'll give you two minutes to talk about or plug anything that you possibly could want. Uh, and then we'll, we'll wrap it for today and continue this conversation some other time. <laughs> no, I, uh, I guess for me that I'm just, I just, thank you for having me on. It's, it's been a humbling year. It's been a humbling couple of years and it's, it's great. I think the one thing that I if anybody can listen is like your parents and relatives and friends, they give so much to allowing hockey players be hockey players. And I think um, if I've never been given a, I guess a, a podium to talk, I, I, I think kids and should really realize and thank and love their families or guardians to allow them to play the sport that they love because it's a major sacrifice on families and siblings and all that stuff. So if, uh, if kids listen to this then just understand the sacrifice and that's all I have. And I appreciate my family and my parents and my wife who's now allowing me to, to chase down my dream as a coach. And for me, it's, uh, it's been a humbling experience and I just hope to continue to grow. Awesome. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks brother. Appreciate the time.
that concludes this week's episode. Thanks for joining us here at Hockey IQ. If you haven't already, take a quick moment to hit that subscribe button, give us a thumbs up, and drop a review. If you want to be a great teammate, even recommend us to a friend. You can follow us at Hockey's Arsenal on Twitter and Instagram. Check out the website, hockeysarsenal.com, where you can subscribe to the weekly newsletter. You won't regret it. Catch a Buttes here next week for a brand new episode.